You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. If you or your patients struggle with muscle cramps, spasms, soreness, or restless leg syndrome, you're going to want to hear about our non-opioid TheraWorks Relief. TheraWorks Relief is a clinically proven and published locally acting topical solution that prevents and relieves muscle cramps, spasms, and soreness in the legs and feet. In a research study including patients diagnosed with restless leg syndrome, TheraWorks Relief was shown to reduce symptoms commonly associated with accompanying RLS, including muscle cramps and spasms. Muscle cramps are reported as a side effect of hundreds of prescription medications, from intravenous iron sucrose and conjugated estrogens to statins and diuretics. By managing muscle cramps, TheraWorks Relief supports adherence, helping patients stay on important and often life-saving medications. TheraWorks Relief comes in an easy-to-use, fast-absorbing, non-greasy foam that can prevent muscle cramps and spasms with just a few simple applications a day. To learn more about TheraWorks Relief, go to theraworksrelief.com and click on the Healthcare Professional link. Welcome to Senior RX Radio, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Senior RX Radio is brought to you by the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists, the ASCP. ASCP is devoted to optimal medication management and improved healthcare outcomes for older adults. Learn more at our website, ASCP.com. Okay, this is Senior RX Radio, sponsored by the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists on the Pharmacy Podcast Network. My name is Chad Wurz, and I am the outgoing host of this podcast. Um, the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists has been spending some time uh, with its new leadership plan on a new committee uh, called the Social Media Committee, and they have uh, also added some staff that have some expertise in social media by the name of Michael Castanon, and he is part of the, the social media approach that ASCP is taking in the coming year. Um, I am joined tonight by Justin Rash, who is um, volunteered to be the chair of the social media committee and will become the podcast host for Senior Rx Radio for the course of the next year. And we are very pleased and excited to having to have a dazzling social media maven on the phone with us or on the computer with us uh, by the name of Erin Albert. And she's going to tell you a little bit about herself, but she is probably the most uh, celebrity style pharmacist in social media in the country today. So we're very excited to have her insight and share with us her stories on uh, how she got started in social media and why social media is so important. So Erin, thank you for being on with us today. My pleasure. Do you want to give us just a brief history of Aaron? Wow, yeah, thanks. Thanks again <laughs> for having me on. Um, after that intro, I've got high standards to live up to, I guess. Uh, but for me, I have worked in a variety of backgrounds as professional pharmacist for over 20 years now. Started in retail pharmacy in teeny tiny Plymouth, Indiana after graduating from Butler University, then moved out to Philadelphia and started my career in the pharmaceutical and biotechnology industries, had a smattering of different careers out there, came back to Indiana, I'm native to Indiana, so then I continued my career as a field-based medical science liaison in industry, then rolled over into academia, uh, was there two days shy of a decade, and taught a lot of different courses in operations, administration, law, uh, entrepreneurship, became an entrepreneur, and then actually 
left uh, about a year ago now, and I work uh, part-time for Myers and Stauffer, which is an accounting firm based in several different states, but we work with government payers, so state Medicaid plans as well as CMS. And then my other slice of my week is occupied by things like the Pharmacy Podcast, where I have, as a co-host, a podcast focused on career development, so we look at the weird career corners of the pharmacy, and weird is a good word here. And then I'm also an author. I've written over a dozen books and working on my newest book that's coming in the first quarter of 2018. So that's kind of me in a quick nutshell. That's outstanding. Yeah, and looking at your history and and one place you can learn a lot about um, Erin Albert is on her website, which is www.erinalbert.com. Is that you, you've really made media uh, a focus regardless of the different points in your career, whether it's writing chapters, writing books, being involved in podcasts, being active on social media. It's kind of been a part of everything that you've done uh, over the years. Why should pharmacists care about social media and care about sort of these aspects that are emerging in the world today? Well, I think fundamentally pharmacists are really educators at heart, right? Whether it's having a patient in front of us and counseling one-on-one or having a dialogue about a medication or a therapy or a regimen, or if it's, you know, educating a whole group of people, maybe their peers um, in a continuing education setting or other healthcare professionals about medications. At the end of every day, what the heart is of what we do is truly educating. So social media, I've always viewed as another set of channels, if you will, a portal by which you can share the knowledge in your head as a pharmacist, because that's really the most valuable asset we have, right? It's what knowledge we have in our heads. So if we can relay that to an audience that's um, interested in, you know, variety of people rather than just the people that or the patients that come to our particular pharmacy setting. I think it's a tremendous opportunity and I really I know there's a lot of negative press out there right now about social media. Um, You know it can be used for really bad things but it's a tool. It's like anything else. You can use it for good or evil. So I choose to use it for good. Awesome. I love that. Um, When you first got started like what was what did you do first? How did you get rolling in social media or did you just kind of organically form from somewhere? Well, I really got started when I was in academia, really, um, because that's when I was just joining face group when they were starting to let lay people in. Right. Because uh, Facebook originally started with universities and you had to have you know, a dot edu account to get a Facebook account. So I'm probably dating myself by saying all that. But it was really the academic setting and the fact that, you know, in academia, we're teaching a lot and we have to go where our audiences are. Right. And a lot of students happen to be on social media as well. And. What really kind of kick-started it for me was I had the luck to attend uh, Mayo Clinic Social Media Residency, and it's a program that they offer everyone, but all of their employees, whether they're a cardiologist, a nurse, 
anybody else working for the Mayo system, they go through this program and learn how to utilize social media. And after I went through that residency program, I thought, wow, what a tremendous opportunity and one that I really need to embrace, not only as an author, but as you know, a pharmacist. I think we have tremendous opportunity, again, to share that knowledge. So that's really where I started. Okay. Awesome. So Aaron, it's Justin. Yeah. Yeah, and I was going to, so I'm looking at your uh, website here, right? I see Twitter and Facebook, um, LinkedIn, certainly. I think those are the ones that I think a lot of people think about. But I also see here we got Flickr, Instagram, Snapchat, this thing called Medium. I don't even know what that is yet at this point. Uh, <laughs> Google Plus and Pinterest. What, yeah. Obviously, you're passionate about it. Like, what, what, where's that passion come from? And, you know, what do you think that professionally people get out of it? like from that passion standpoint, you know, where did you come from, from what, why was it passion in the beginning and why does it, you know, why do you continue to be passionate about it now? Well, as a writer, uh, I'm always curious as to consuming content as a reader. And um, a couple years ago, I wrote a trilogy of books for girls to get them excited about STEM. So science, technology, engineering, and math careers. And the one commonality as I started researching and talking to women that chose STEM careers was when they were all girls, they were all voracious readers. So I think that's why I love social media so much because I, I consume a lot of the content. Now, of course, there's hashtag fake news, right? And there's a lot of things that are out there that are somewhat nefarious. On the other hand, where are you going to get late breaking news? I mean, most people wouldn't admit it, but a lot of people get the first exposure to major news stories on a Facebook or on a Twitter. So you know, some would argue the 24-7-365 news cycle is a detriment, but again, I think it's actually a positive thing because if, you know, things are happening, it's a democratization of media now. So everybody has a smartphone, everybody has a camera, um, you know, for good or for bad. I think it's the fact that we're speeding up how we consume content. And so for me as a reader, yes, I love books, but books take, you know, 12 to 18 months to get out there in, into, you know, amazon.com or a library. Whereas with medium, which is a long post kind of uh, LinkedIn style blogging platform that's open source that anybody can use. It's quick. Like I can get up first thing in the morning. If I have an idea, I'll write it out and I hit publish and I'm good to go. That's awesome. I, you know, <clears throat> I'm, I'm glad to hear you say some of those things because I'm kind of, I don't know how to describe myself, but I, you know, I'm 45 years old. I'm kind of cross-generational. So I grew up reading the paper as a kid, checking box scores and, and doing the things that, that, you know, kids and teenagers do when, as it relates to sports. But today I find myself waking up, looking at my Twitter feed, and I really, I really think the Twitter feed has become the newspaper you know, that maybe the generation before used to get all their news of the day. Uh, my dad would read the newspaper every day. Today, I go through my Twitter feed, and that's how I see news stories, and I can select the types of news stories that I want to see, and it really drives a lot of content, and it becomes that sort of sit down and read newspaper moment, only it's done on your smartphone, and it's looking through your Twitter feed, or could be different social media platforms that you, you use in that manner. So I think that's interesting because I think that's that's really the way things are are continuing to evolve for people. 
Yeah, and back to Justin's point, my favorite, one of my favorite social media portals, I didn't even, I don't even have on my website, but it's Flipboard. And I love Flipboard. I read it voraciously every morning. I, you can, it's, it's magazine and newspaper content digitally on an app for your smartphone, or I read it on my iPad. Um, you can, you know, look at Fast Company, Inc., Forbes, uh, Wall Street Journal, Harvard Business Review, Cosmopolitan, whatever it is that you want to look at. Most magazines and newspapers are on that app. So I love consuming content that way. And yeah, I still read the paper too, believe it or not, but I like it uh, digital. So Flipboard is great. That's awesome. You know, one of the, uh, to get into some, some more of the maybe controversial side of social media, there's an old story, um, and I think it was a Plato story, actually. And the story is about the Ring of Gyges. And what, what the Ring of Gyges is, is what would people do if they could put on a ring that would make them invisible? Would they, would they steal? Would they, you know, burglarize somebody's house because they could get away with it because they were invisible? And to some degree, social media becomes a way of being sort of anonymous and being sort of invisible and being able to say some things that maybe you wouldn't say directly to somebody, uh, whether that somebody was president of the United States or some other person. So what do you, what do you see, how do you kind of evolve your platform to, to stay out of some of those controversial pitfalls, but also how do you keep your social media content fresh? And sometimes fresh means, you know, driving right into a, a controversial topic and making a stand one, one way or the other. How do you approach that? Yeah, that's a tough and interesting question. I don't know if I still yet have a better answer around that, but you know, the general guideline is I always recommend that people use the boss grandma test. So if you post something and you're getting ready to hit, you know, post or send or, you know, hitting enter and you think if your boss or your grandmother saw the post and they would raise an eyebrow, that should be a cue to maybe not post it. Um, especially if you're angry or <laughs> you're upset for any reason. Now that aside, you know, the lawyer in me loves the fact that this is a platform for dialogue and sometimes it's not always pleasant, right? So, um, for example, I posted something on LinkedIn about a week ago now about how I personally believe that pharmacy schools are not changing fast enough and need an extreme makeover. Now, it had uh, almost 5,000 views thus far. There are people that completely disagree with me. There are people that partially disagree with me. But I think the important part is that we're having the dialogue. We're getting the moose on the table, so to speak. Um, and controversy sometimes in a democracy is a good thing. So I think it's kind of a fine line. I, again, I don't think I have any great answers, but I do appreciate that these channels exist so we can have rich dialogue. And, you know, even if we can't agree, ultimately we can agree to disagree. I think that's a really interesting point, Aaron. And what do you say to somebody who, let's say, they're kind of like you and Chad had described, they're reading their morning news from social media and they've been on the more personal interaction on the Facebook how do you get somebody to maybe make that jump into the professional side of things? Is there, is there advice you would give them? 
Yeah, I mean, you kind of have to put more of a professional tone and demeanor on what you're curating and creating and sharing in terms of content. Um, you know, best best practices on things like Twitter, platforms like that. Obviously, after reading your employer's guidelines on social media, most employers have those now. Um, you want to disclaim things like, if I retweet, that is not necessarily an endorsement. Um so you want to be careful, especially if you're reposting other people's content that you don't necessarily completely agree with it. And you can also state up front, you know, I like this article in point four. However, I disagree with point nine, retweet, and then, you know, post the content. And you'd be surprised the, the kind of dialogue that you end up uh, with. But I think, you know, LinkedIn is obviously a more professional platform. Twitter, although there may feel like a little more anonymity there, trust me, there is no anonymity on the internet unless you're going to tour and you're, you know, searching for things privately and using ghost emails to set up Twitter accounts. Um, and that, and that's one kind of, of the cautions and dangers about social media, too, is that people think, well, I'm on Snapchat, and those pictures are going to go away. Well, they're not going away. They're on a server somewhere. They're never going away. So I think that's one thing that we definitely, I try to educate students on is, you know, you're in pharmacy school now, so you need to think of yourself as a professional now not the day you graduate. So if you're going to step into those platforms, you have to be professional. I totally agree. And it's funny you brought up that particular post from last week because I retweet, well, I put that on LinkedIn uh, and just put the word church period and reposted your post. And I think I got 5,000 views on my page of your post. Yeah. It was a great post. Yeah. Um, crazy not everybody agrees but no but you're right it's a it's it's a good good. dialogue starter absolutely absolutely that's really cool so in terms of like do you monitor your activity Um, you post a lot obviously you post a lot on on the different social media platforms but do you monitor impact and do you sort of even if it's just mentally track hey that really worked I got I got 5,000 views of that one, or, you know, that one really didn't work. Nobody really paid too much attention to that particular post. And and does that drive your process going forward that when you want to deliver something, you're like, well, if I do it in this, this way, I know that I'll, I'll grab everybody's attention. Do you think about those things when you post? I do. Um, There are tools out there to measure kind of social media impact, things like clout, Um, K-L-O-U-T is a plugin that you can put on Chrome into Twitter. So when you're looking at your Twitter feed, everybody has a clout score, whether or not they know it. So you can see social impact of everyone. um, And I don't fully understand Twitter's algorithm and clout's algorithm, but you can go into clout and set up all your social media accounts and the scale is from, I think, zero to 99. So uh, Trump, you know, President Trump probably has a 99 clout score. Um, somebody that, you know, is setting up an account is probably at zero. So you can measure social impact that way. Um, I, I do, now that, you know, we're at the end of 2017 as we record this, one of the things that I'd love to do is go back and look Um, upon the year, see what posts really resonated with my audience and my tribe, because that's 
stuff, that's content that I want to focus on more in subsequent articles and posts and podcasts. So for example, um, there was a long, or it was actually just a little short post that I put in LinkedIn a couple of months ago about a pharmacist going back to graduate school. And if you would go back to graduate school, what would you study? And that little teeny tiny post had over 20,000 views. So that was a cue to me that I needed to spend more time on that. And through the pharmacy podcast, we created a eight part series on going back to school. So we looked at different graduate degrees. We talked to different professionals who had interesting combinations post-PharmD with their careers and their education. So I, yes, I definitely look at those. And I think it's really important to do that because you want to go and serve the audience with the content that they're interested in, right? Absolutely. That's, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I think, you know, being a, a novice, you know, I do look and see, you know, when I post something on LinkedIn, I want to know if, if people paid attention to it, viewed it uh, versus other things that I see that maybe they didn't view. But I think when, when you look at organizations like the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists that are uh, really in the beginning of getting themselves on different social media platforms, they struggle with how do we get traction? How do we get, you know, those first few retweets and likes that start to build that snowball uh, going down the hill so that people, you know, do put them in their, their feeds and do want to hear uh, every time they post. Do you have any advice for organizations or for pharmacists in general on how to build, you know, rapport, how to build that cloud score? Well, I think what ASP, ACP, ASCP sorry, is doing with having a social media committee is really awesome. I think the best case I ever saw of use of social media was at HIMSS, so Health Information Management Systems Society. They have a annual meeting in the spring of about 45,000 professionals in healthcare IT and analytics. And what they do is really uh, cool. They have a whole team of social media ambassadors at the meeting. They had really cool flair. They have these awesome jackets that had painted scenes on the back of their jackets and they wore these jackets throughout the conference so people could easily identify them. And then they were in charge of reposting, retweeting, sharing content throughout the meeting. Now, I don't know what happened on the back end if they got like a discounted registration for attending and being a social media ambassador, etc. But I love the idea of having, you know, a group of maybe 20 of your members who are official social media ambassadors for your organization to not only promote a live meeting, but then to also be responsible for reposting, retweeting, sharing, liking content that's on your Facebook page, that's in your LinkedIn group, um, that's on Twitter, that's in Instagram. Uh, I think that's really important. You have to have a concerted effort. And that's really how you start grassroots and build something. I think that's a fantastic idea, Aaron. I can, I can imagine that at ASCB conferences because you know, there is a kind of critical mass of people who use social media, but I think there's certainly a lot that don't as well. So I think the idea that maybe getting those people involved that have a great voice who maybe aren't on social media, I can see that being a great opportunity for them to kind of find that way into that that platform yeah absolutely. kind of on what chad was saying i think one of the things that, ACP that that we see is you know people 
like and they view. Do you have any suggestions for how we get people engaged in, in commenting? Because I think that's the one thing that, you know, it, it's, it's great when people like and view your stuff. I think it's also great when you get that interaction piece. Do you have any best practices around that? Well, I, I think basic education. So it, at your live meetings, are you having like a social media ambassador meetup at these events where you can not only teach and educate about where all your social portals are with ASCP, but you can also, uh, you know, get people to engage and share. Um, pharmacists tend to be a little reserved. They don't always, you know, put a, a lot of controversy out there, right? So they're a little more conservative. So if you can, you know, open the door, educate them on the tools, um, you can get them to start engaging more comfortably. So as an example, here in Indiana, a friend of mine who's huge on Twitter, her name is Amy Stark, and I noticed that a lot of women weren't really sharing their stories and tweets and posts through social media here in Indiana. And so she and I thought we should start an educational series called the Social Media Dames Unconference Series. And once or twice a year, we get a group of women together and we share stories on how we're utilizing social media tools. And that gets everybody talking about how they could apply it to their own situations. So if you, for example, with ASCP brought in social media experts into your social media uh, group or your ambassadors, if you will, you can get uh, hands-on practice on how to share and post content. And then you're also educating the pharmacists. And most pharmacists love to learn, right? Their learner is usually in their top five on StrengthsFinder. So if you can give them something in exchange, they will be more likely to start posting and commenting and retweeting. That's just great stuff. So at what point, Aaron, does it, does it become a job? Like what point like do all these social media platforms and all of your activity become something that, you know, you have to pay attention to maybe not 24 seven, but pay attention to on a daily basis because now you've, now you have the responsibility to some degree of having all these followers that are waiting for your next post, waiting for your next blog. Um, at what point does it, does it become a job? Does it feel like not, not in a negative way, but in a, in a positive way, does it become something that, you know, kind of drives your, your daily routine? Yeah, it's kind of a, it's a consistency battle, right? So you asked earlier about how to build your tribe. Well, I think the number one thing is consistency. So whatever you do, you have to do it regularly. Now, there's a lot of tools out there to help you not get sucked into the vacuum cleaner of time that is looking at Facebook feeds and Twitter posts and all of that good stuff. So I try to use tools like Buffer, If This Then That, Hootsuite, TweetDeck. These are all platforms by which you can consolidate all your social media into one space and put content through it so you don't have to go to Facebook and then Twitter and then Instagram. So there's ways to save time that way and consolidate your time. Um, you know, there is a growing camp and it's actually coming from Silicon Valley about not being on social media. There's a lot of backlash now. You know, there's a former Facebook uh, executive who argues that, you know, Facebook is ripping apart society. Now, I don't know if he said it to that level, but 
there is a camp out there that's stating that, you know, a lot of us are spending too much time on social media. So for me, I want to try to dip in and dip out. So things like I use Chrome and Chrome has a plugin to eradicate your Facebook feed. So when I go to Facebook, I don't see my feed. I just see a block where I can post my stuff and get out of there. So there are time savers and it could become a full-time job. There are social media people out there that do this professionally um, on a daily basis. So you could spend as much or as little time as you wanted to, but I think there has to be some kind of balance because we all have day jobs, right? So I think you, you just have to find the right rhythm for you. Great comments. Um, in terms of platforms, what is your favorite platform? Do you have a favorite platform? I used to think it was LinkedIn, but LinkedIn has gotten a lot, what, what's the right word, spammier lately? I don't, yeah. and I don't know why. Yeah. It's like people connect to you and then they just want to sell you stuff. Right. And recruit they, you. They want to recruit you too. Yeah, yeah. It's like, come on, give me a break. Um, so, you know, right now, and for the last few years, I have to say my favorite is Pinterest. And it's not just because I'm a woman and they skew very heavily women. <laughs> it's more for creative purposes. And for me, I'm a big fan of vision boards. So right now I'm putting together my vision board for 2018 on Pinterest digitally rather than doing it, you know, by cutting out magazines and things like that. So I use Pinterest pretty heavily for art ideas for covers for books or um, creating, you know, products and services that are helpful. Um, but I, I'm a visual learner too. So I think that's why I'm infatuated with Pinterest. And I read today, um, Pinterest is actually working on some artificial intelligence where you can literally take a picture of an item and then it will have a search engine to find all pictures within Pinterest of that, that type of item. Wow. Yeah. So I'm a big, big fan of the Pinterest. I have oh, to say, cool. I have to, I have to say I've been on Pinterest and I do kind of like Pinterest, even though I'm a guy and I think it's because of what you said. It, it is a creative outlet. It's a creative outlet and it's, you know, you know, every year I have three kids and every year or every sixth birthday we we decorate their room and they participate in that and i've used pinterest for ideas and things like that and i think it's a great site any yeah. favorite follows any favorite follows that you have i mean you're probably every pharmacist's favorite follow but do you have any favorite follows well i just got back from new york city where i masterminded with dory clark who is an author of three different books um her most recent book is called entrepreneurial you Love her to bits. Um, she's got tons of followers. Um, I do listen to Tim Ferriss, his podcast, and follow him. I also listen to James Altucher, love his stuff. Um, obviously, the Pharmacy Podcast, but I think we're all a little biased there. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I really work hard to try to stay up with the entrepreneurial literature right now too, because my next book is focused on entrepreneurship. So, and you know, this whole idea that the coming workforce, you know, 40% of us by 2020 are going to be freelancers. So I'm very um, involved and intrigued in the changing way that we're working. 
So anything involved in those arenas, I'm usually listening with bated breath. Awesome. To focus on is this is women entrepreneurship, and I really think senior care pharmacy is like particularly open for the entrepreneurial type person. What advice and have that entrepreneurial flair? Maybe they want to explore something. Yeah, I mean, senior care market you've observed, or what advice he wants to explore? Yeah, I just read an article today about the top trends for businesses in 2018, and one of the trends happens to be the corporate intrapreneur is alive and well here. I mean, most companies now understand that everybody has a side hustle. So how might we as corporate, you know, CEOs encourage our employees to experiment, to be creative, to be intrapreneurial, right? So you work for a traditional employer, but you can have that entrepreneurial mindset. So I think there's tremendous opportunity there. I think the senior market and care, I, I think they called it the care, uh, care economy that I heard some thought leaders using, you know, this coming sea change of the baby boomers retiring 10,000 a day and what kind of care uh economy are we going to have around serving that population? I think ASCP is perfectly situated for helping, you know, the elderly stay at home and healthy longer um, rather than going to, you know, an assisted living facility or longer term care indefinitely. Um, so I think there's some, some blending, if you will, there's some gray zones between outpatient and then, uh, long-term care that I think long-term care pharmacists could actually seize as opportunities. So I think there's a tremendous amount of opportunity out there. It's just the pharmacists have to be super creative they have to have bosses with open minds and hopefully all parties can be very intrapreneurial. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. I read a great book from Kevin D'Souza called entrepreneurship, managing ideas within your organization. So is there a difference do you think when you approach somebody maybe from the entrepreneurial side versus somebody from like more of the entrepreneurial side? Is there, is there a different pathway to that? It's a spectrum in my mind. So on one end, you have, you know, the corporate America nine to five, 40 hour work week employee. Somewhere in the middle, you have the intrapreneur. So you have someone who likes the steady paycheck, but also is creative. They start things. Um, they take initiative. And then on the other opposite end of the spectrum, you've got the entrepreneur. They're, well, they're willing and ready to risk it all to, you know, burn the ship, so to speak, um, to, you know, make the big play. So I tend to be more of the entrepreneur. I'm kind of in the middle myself because I like the steady paycheck. I like the day job. But then I also have all these other creative endeavors that feed my soul in a different way. So I think we're all somewhere on that spectrum, so it just depends on your own comfort with your level of risk taking um, and how, how far you're willing to go in terms of, you know, quote unquote, burning the ships. Now, one of my favorite books of 2016 was Adam's, Adam Grant's Originals, and he talked about the Warby Parker guys in that book, and they started as a part-time entrepreneurial endeavor and had day jobs. And Adam's book was really one of the first that's really big 
you know, publications that said, hey, it's okay to do both. And in fact, you know, in my entrepreneurship elective, when I taught at Butler, I encouraged the students to think outside of the box. Being an entrepreneur in pharmacy doesn't necessarily mean starting your own pharmacy. It could mean, you know, having MTM services on the side, or it could mean, you know, doing podcasting on the side or writing books or, you know, any kind of other entrepreneurial endeavors that are outside of pharmacy. So there's lots of different flavors. It just depends, again, on your level of risk tolerance and then what your passions are. Well, I appreciate your time today, Aaron. It's been awesome. You've given us a lot of insight, not only into, into you and, and what you're doing, but how to kind of approach this whole social media environment and how to kind of push pharmacists to get out there and have more of a voice in the way the world seems to be communicating, which is in these different platforms that are out there and, and people are starting to use. So I'm, uh, I'm going to wrap it up. Um, Justin, do you have any last um, questions or, or comments? You know, you know a, a couple quick ones here, Chad. Um, number one, I just want to plug Aaron's. She had a great podcast, one of my favorite podcasts I've ever listened to, uh, episode 410 in the Pharmacy Podcast with Charles Saffron talking about InfoSage. So if you have that senior care pharmacy flair to you, that's one you've got to check out. I think it's just a great interview with him and the things he's doing with InfoSage, I think it's fantastic. So I just wanted to plug that one, Aaron. And then lastly, so we're doing ASCP's launching a 10 December members to member event. So I'm taking a page out of your playbook here. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions here kind of related to this and they don't have to be long answers, but just love to get your perspective. Sure. So number one here, what's your biggest wish related to pharmacy in 2018? Provider status. We have the same one, Aaron. <laughs> I'm tired of talking about it. Let's just make it happen. I'm with you. Absolutely. Number two here, if you're entering the profession now, but knowing what you know now, what advice would you give yourself? Oh, wow. Um, think out of the box. I think that's a good one. What is the one gift as a child you wanted, but you never received? Oh my gosh. And that was a Chad question right there that he had, had submitted here for this. So wow. that's a good one. I have a good answer for that one too. I, I can't honestly think of anything that I was deprived of as a child. <laughs> <laughs> I had a great childhood. Your parents will be so happy with that answer. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> well, that's it for that. I have thanks so much guys for uh, introducing me to this, this world here and I'm excited to be a part of it going forward. All right. Awesome. Any, any last comments from you, Aaron? We, again, we we're thrilled to have you on and, and appreciate you, you sharing your stuff. ASCP's got a huge opportunity. I mean, some of the fastest growing rates on social media and smartphones are with seniors. So you guys have an eager audience out there. It's just, we have to, you know, get going and start communicating with our patients or wider audience, other pharmacists that have a passion for, um, keeping our senior citizens alive and well and, and thriving. All right. Well, I appreciate Justin, you being on and Aaron for being our guest. This has been Senior Rx Radio, sponsored by the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists on the Pharmacy Podcast Network. And I wish all of our listeners and a happy start to 2018. And Justin will be here to uh, helm the podcast going forward next year. Uh, we'll see everybody then.
Thanks. Thanks for listening to Senior Rx Radio. Be sure to share this podcast with your fellow consultant pharmacists and pharmacy associates to learn more about better outcomes for older adult patients. Join us on the web at ASCP.com.